Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The miracle power of praise. If you understand that a product its purpose is determined by a manufacturer. In the same vein, our purpose is defined by our manufacturer, God. And the Bible says, I'm going to read it first and foremost before I kick off. Isaiah 43, the, the reason why I'm taking time to preach on praise, to talk about the miracle power of praise, is because if you're out of praise, you're out of purpose. And I'm going to show you why. Isaiah 43, 21. If you're out of praise, you are out of purpose. You're out of divine alignment. I get a lot of people that message message me constantly on uh, different social media platforms asking me what they can do to know God's purpose and plan for their life. Or, you know, I feel like I'm lost. I don't know what God wants me to do in life. And so they get discouraged and they, they feel like they're just wandering through life, not knowing what they've been put on this earth to do. And that can be a very frustrating place to be. However, I want to show you that there, you know, the Word of God shows you basic general things and functions that every one of us must have. Before you follow the primary function of your life, you're not entitled to discover further functions. Before you follow and understand, discover the reason primarily why you were put here on earth, you're not a candidate or eligible to discover anything else in, in, in the plan of God concerning your life. So I want to show you the main reason God has created us and purposed our existence and placed us here on planet earth. Number one, Isaiah 43, 21, the number one main reason is this. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. The King James says, I have formed this people for myself to declare my praise for me. The, book, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we are a royal priesthood. Let me read it. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Before you can discover anything else God wants you to do in life, you have to first discover the main reason why you've been placed on this earth. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. The Bible says this, You are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen generation. You are a holy nation. Welcome. If you're just joining me now, you do me a lot of help if you share the broadcast. And uh, let's get the numbers up. reach more people a holy nation his own special people and it doesn't stop there it goes on to say that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not the people of god but now are the people of god who had once not obtained mercy but now you have obtained mercy so the bible says in Christ, in redemption, we are we once were not the people of God, but in Christ, we are now the people of God. And as the people of God on the earth, our primary function is to give praise to God. What is praise? Praise is a celebration of who God is. Praise is celebrating God's person. 
It's celebrating his, pa his past, it's celebrating his present, and it's celebrating the glorious things that he's going to do in the future. Praise is an adoration of the totality, of who God is, is in, his, in his totality. It is a humble adoration and celebration and rejoicing of the person of God. The Bible says in Psalm 100, let me read it, Psalm 100. The book of Psalms and the hundredth Psalm. The scripture says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, and serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. So the scripture says you can't even access the presence of God without being praiseful. People who are not praiseful are usually people that are thoughtless. It takes an intentional thought life. To become a praise warrior in the eyes of God. Why do I say that? Because if you're never thinking on God's past greatness in your life. If you're not con continuously reminding yourself of what God has done for you. You're never going to take an intentional act to praise. You're never going to purpose yourself to set your heart to praise God. Because you'll always be focused on happenings rather than what has happened and what is written. Praise cannot be determined. Your praise, you can never let the level of praise be determined by what is happening before you. The level of praise that you have and you, uh, you, you activate in your own life must be determined by what is written and by what God has done for you in your past life. There's a lot of people whose eyes are focused on things that failed. Their minds are focused. They continuously remind themselves of areas that didn't go the way they thought it would go of areas that that didn't exactly line up with what they thought would happen that didn't you know things that were mishaps things that people might have like you know messed them up in people that might have failed them people that, they're constantly gravitating towards the sorrow of their past and as such they're robbed they're robbed of attaining and arriving at a glorious future that's why paul i mean paul the bible says in philippians 3 that he had a past. He was an insolent man. He was an angry man. He committed a lot of Christians to prison and killed many of them. He wholeheartedly consented to the martyrdom of Stephen. The Bible even says he, he stood by holding people's coats as they were stoning Stephen relentlessly. But the Bible says in Philippians 3, I don't focus on the horrors of my past. I'm not focused on what, uh, what I did. What didn't happen? What didn't line up? I'm not focused on my failures. I do this one thing the scripture says. One thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. And I press towards the goal of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I pray at the onset of this broadcast that God is going to do something for you. 
the first thing he's going to do is that he's going to give you like a spiritual amnesia where you're going to stop remembering the horrors of your past. Stop reminding yourself of what the devil's done to you, what the devil did to you when you didn't serve the Lord, how that, you know, you uh, you prayed for something and didn't really line up with what you wanted. And so now you've just been soaking in that sorrow for the last 15 years. And as such, you have paralyzed yourself and stayed in the same exact spot, unable to move forward in God's plan for your life. God is going to give you what I like to call spiritual amnesia. He's going to make you to forget the horrors of your path, just like Joseph. Joseph was a man that had received such a dream at a young age. God told him, you're going to stand as a, as a beaming light in your generation, and your brothers are going to come and bow before you. You're going to stand as a, as a, a notable figure in your generation, and your family's going to come and bow themselves before you. Well, what did Joseph do? He spoke the dream. He began to declare the dream. He began to, to, to speak it out vocally. And his brothers heard of it and they got jealous of him. They got angry at him and they tried to they tried to get rid of him. They threw him in a ditch. And because of Judah, thank God, they weren't uh, they didn't go on and proceed to kill him. They said, it's enough. Let's just sell his body as a slave. At least we'll make some money. If we kill him, they won't make any money. If we sell his body as a slave, we'll make some money, make some dough while, while we're at it. So they did that. But what happened? Joseph, at that point, while he was in that ditch and while he was on that caravan being led back to Egypt, he had every opportunity to get angry and let bitterness begin to spring forth from within. Angry at God. Do you know what the Bible says? The foolishness of man is what twists his way and his heart gets angry at the Lord. There are some of you you, it, it's your own mistake that got you into the ditch. And you're angry at God because he didn't prevent you from falling into the ditch. But understand, though you've made a mistake and you're in that ditch, you don't sit in the ditch complaining about how you're not getting out of the ditch. Instead, you know, it's a child that raises his hands that gets help from his parent. It's a child that lifts up his hands that an adult sees and lifts him up. In the same vein, when you have your hands down in sorrow, contemplating horrors and, and, and the torment of your past, you're not going to get any assistance from God. It requires, God requires, if any, if there's any problem in life that you need assistance in, praise is what is required to get God's intervention so he can lift you up out of that horrible pit and put you into the place that you're supposed to be. And I pray in the name of Jesus by, by today, I pray as you engage in this high voltage praise God is gonna he's not gonna ignore you he's not gonna disregard you as you engage as you switch on the switch of praise God himself will not send an angel God himself will descend and pull you out of that ditch no matter if you're the one that puts you in your in it doesn't matter if the devil's the one that threw you in it there's no ditch that if you'll lift up your holy hands without wrath or doubting that God won't stretch in lift you up and put you on the solid ground. The Bible says this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and he delivered him out of all his troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Afflictions in life will come for free, but it takes the deliberate act of praise to yield God's intervention 
to fulfill the rest of that verse. Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver them out of them all. And I tell you, no matter what affliction you're standing before today, no matter what chain's been holding you down, no matter what heaviness has tried to crush you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you're coming out of it today. The same God that caused the, the chains of Paul and Silas to break in that prison area as they began to sing praises loud and high. He sent an earthquake and the chains fell off and the prison's door came open. Not only their prison doors, but everyone's prison doors came open. That same God, not only going to deliver you, there are people even in your own household today that are struggling with depression. There are children that you might have that have anxiety, panic attacks. Do you understand that as a, as a parent in that home, you have authority over your children? That as you praise God, it won't just affect you. That praise has the power to break off the chains of, of, a, of anxiety and panic attack and depression and suicidal thoughts of your own children. I tell you, my God is going to lift up every prison door in your home and you and your household shall taste and see that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the purpose of every product is determined by its manufacturer. If you're out of praise, you're out of purpose. Number two, what I want to get through today is praise is a celebration of who God is. And praise, when you do it, the Bible says in Psalm 22, 3, the Bible says, when you praise thou, O Lord, God inhabits the praises of his people. God's presence is everywhere. But his tangible presence and his felt presence, the presence, the glory of God, the anointing of God that lifts up the heavy burden and breaks every yoke. That presence, that anointing comes when people praise him. God loves to show up where he's celebrated. He doesn't show up where he's not celebrated. He shows up where he's celebrated. And I love that, you know, Philippians 4, 6, I talked about prayer on Tuesday. And we talked about the power produced in prayer. And we talked about um, prayer that brings results. But do you remember when I said Philippians 4, 6 doesn't just say we're to make our request known to God. It says be anxious for nothing. In everything, by prayer, supplication, we are to make a request known to God with thanksgiving. Your prayer will not be heard in heaven. I read it before, Psalm 100. We are to enter His gates with thanksgiving. You won't even bypass the gate, gate system of heaven unless thanksgiving is done. Unless you praise God, you are, you are left at the door. The gate won't open. Praise is the password that opens up the gate so you can have free access into God's presence. Without praise, you're left at the door. You, that's why a lot of people have frustrating prayer lives because the moment they have a problem or a situation rises up, the first thing they do is they storm heaven with their fist waving at God, you know, complaining, stressing out, begging God, for him to pull through. That, that's not how it works. You think I can just get into the uh, prime minister's office or the president's office without following the procedures? No, there's a procedure that I have to go through. There's a vetting process that we go through in order to appear before the president of the United States. Well, in the same vein, there's a procedure you have to go through to appear before God in his throne. The Bible says we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving until you're thankful you won't have you won't have any access to God's ear 
God's ear is bound towards those who are thankful. So if, you know, people love to, the reason why many people aren't thankful, I said it before, is because they're not thoughtful. They don't remind themselves of the past goodness of God. Psalm 77, let me, let me read this. Psalm 77 and verse, verse 10. The Bible says, I said, this is my anguish. This is my infirmity. This is my problem. This is my, so he's talking about him approaching God and he's saying, this is my problem. This is what I'm dealing with. This is my trouble. But notice what he does next. This is my anguish. Before we discuss that, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High God. Stop bringing up your problems to God. Instead, bring up his past faithfulness in your life. That's how David knocked Goliath's head off cheaply, with ease. The Bible says that when Goliath began to mouth off to the children of Israel, they all cowered it away. Nobody did anything about it. They saw his large stature and they, they receded and shrank back in shame because of fear. David heard the words of Goliath. Remember in 1 Samuel 16, David had been anointed with the Holy Ghost and with the power of God. David had the Spirit of God on him that enabled him that when a sheep came, I mean, when a lion came to take a sheep, he was able to wrestle that lion, kill the lion, destroy the lion, and rescue the sheep. When a bear did the same thing, he was able to kill the bear and rescue the sheep. So when he saw Goliath, because of his past victories, it gave him a note of joy, not a note of fear. It gave him confidence that the same God that delivered him from the past uh, challenges will be the same God that delivers him from his present challenge. That's why when Saul tried to discourage him, you know, you've been a child, you, you, you've, you're just a child and you just started fighting. This guy's been a warrior from his youth. Why don't you take some of my armor and, uh, and go to war? At least you'll be a little more protected. What did David do? David understood, I have a weapon you don't see. I want you to write this out in the comment section. Praise is an invisible weapon that brings much results. Praise is an invisible weapon that brings victory. How about that? Praise is an invisible weapon that brings the victory. Praise is an invisible weapon. Saul couldn't see what David had on the inside. And so he offered up his, his physical armory. But David understood, I don't need these weapons. I don't need this physical weapon. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and the weapons of our warfare is not carnal. You can't see it. It's not fleshly. It's not materialized. You can't see it. You can't witness it. You can't handle it with your hands. But the Bible says the weapons of our warfare, and praise is that weapon. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Just because the enemy has set up a stronghold in your life does not mean you have to tolerate it and go through it. The Bible doesn't say we have to go through things. The Bible says that you can call unto God who will take you out of trouble. The Bible says there's a class of people who before they even call, I will hear them. Before they even, while they're yet in speech, I will answer them and set them in the safety for which they yearn. Hallelujah. Praise is a weapon of our warfare. And it's a weapon that is not utilized in the body of Christ. People ignore it. People, all they do is they stop at prayer. 
Their whole prayer life is just about them petitioning God, asking God, and there's nothing wrong with those things. We did a whole broadcast on Tuesday about it. But unless you are grateful, like David did, the same God, he replied to Saul, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the bear is the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion, and he's the same God who shall deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. That's what I like to call provocative praise. You're provoking God to act today by dwelling and meditating on what he did yesterday. You're provoking God to act today by dwelling and reminding him of what he did yesterday. And what happened? Did, that, did the story end with David getting destroyed and Goliath took the whole camp of Israel as slaves for the Philistine? No. The Bible said, man, David killed Goliath with his praise before he ever even killed him with a rock and a stone, a stone and a sling. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on your work. I mean, you look at this. The Bible isn't a book that tells you to ignore what you're, what you're dealing with today. The Bible isn't a book that, you know, denies reality. These people are not people that the Bible documents having, they, had ne they never had a problem in life. They walked through life like they had daisies and flowers brushing against their ankles and angels with harps were playing as they, as they walked through life. And little doves and birds were chirping over their head. That's not, the Bible doesn't document these, these people are not people who had no problems. These people are documented and recorded in history because they are the ones who had the gravest of problems. But they also understood that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if he did it then, he'll do it now. So I'm not going to magnify my problem through complaining. I'm going to magnify my God through praising. David said, my soul shall make its boast of the Lord. Some people, they know how to boast about their problems. They know how to magnify their problems. They know how to talk about every failure of their past. They can recount from the year 1968 till now, everything that went wrong throughout their lifetime. And then you ask them, about a testimony. And the only testimony they have is, I once was blind and now I see. I'm saved now. And they, they really, they, 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 they belittle that testimony as if it's just some nonchalant thing to say. You know, if you feel like you have nothing to thank God for, you should remind yourself that the very reason there's a place for you in heaven is because Jesus Christ came and died a death. He didn't have to die. Jesus didn't shed his blood because his sins needed forgiving. Jesus didn't take stripes on his back because his sicknesses needed, be, needed to be healed. Jesus didn't take a crown of thorns because he had mental agony that needed to be solved. Jesus did not be, was not beaten beyond recognition because he needed his guilt to be forgiven. Jesus did not go to that cross and endure the suffering and shame of the cross because of something he needed. He did it for you and for me.
We once were not the people of God. Ephesians 2, if there's nothing to thank God for today, if you feel like you have, you've depleted yourself, you have nothing to thank Him for, you feel like there's nothing to be grateful for, you feel like everything's aligned against you, why don't you focus on the fact that God is not aligned against you, that He's your helper and He's the one that's on your side. And we know that He's on our side because there was a time when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses and we walked according to the course of this world. We followed after the sons of wickedness we were under the spirit of disobedience, the Bible says. We were by nature children of wrath. We, we were on our way to hell in a handbasket. And the scripture says that we had all together become corrupt. We had each one gone to our own way. We had together gone aside like sheep. We have been led astray. And the Bible says when we were sheep without shepherds, when we were distressed, when we were distorted, contorted, messed up, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the wrath, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for you. He didn't, he, he didn't ignore our cry from heaven. He came down himself. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send money. He didn't send uh, an archangel. He sent his only begotten son, who the Bible says, being rich in mercy, he made us alive together in Christ Jesus. He quickened ourselves. Our, our hearts in Christ Jesus. He made us alive together. He raised us up in Christ Jesus so that now we might walk in his favor, his grace, his kindness, his goodness, and his mercy all the days of our life. Hallelujah. I, I don't feel like I have anything to thank God for. You know, I've been asking for a, a husband for 14 years. I'm 38 years old, and I, I still don't have a husband. I'm 48 years old, and I still don't have a husband. What, what should I thank God for? Why don't you thank God that you're even qualified to be, to be a wife? Or if you're a, a, a guy, you're even qualified to be a husband because you're, you're alive. Why don't you thank God that, you know, people are even considering you for marriage? Why don't you thank God that, you're healthy and you can actually go out on a date in the first place. You can actually go and present yourself in a public area and meet other people instead of being confined to a hospital bed and on an oxygen tank or something. Well, I don't have a job. I feel like, I, I, you know, I've been asking God for a job for all these years. Why don't you thank God that you have the health required, a medical, uh, you have the medical necessity to even be considered for a job. You have strength in your body. Thank God that you have hands to work a job. You have a brain that can function to think on a job. You have eyes to see, or, you know, like you have legs that can get you to that workplace. Why don't you thank God that you're, you're alive and still qualified to have a job? Instead of complaining about, you know, there's a lot of things people complain about. They, and, and you know what? When you constantly expose yourself to people who are complaining about those things, that same seed of complaint is going to get sowed in your heart and it's going to produce the same harvest. It'll produce the same harvest. There's always something to thank God for. Even if there's, there's never going to be a time in your life where everything has gone wrong. Never. There's always going to be something to look on and thank God for. Finances are drying up. Thank God. You know, thank God that at least I have food to eat tonight. Some people, you know, you might not have enough money to buy steak or salmon or whatever you want to buy. You've been eating the same meal day after day, week after week. Why don't you thank God 
The children of Israel ate one meal for 40 years. Thank God it won't be 40 years before you get to taste something new. There's always something you can zone in on and give God great thanks. The Bible says in Psalm 92, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, to sing praises to His name, O Most High God, to declare His loving kindness in the morning and His faithfulness by night. The Bible says that if you'll thank God that way, then shall your horn be exalted, your strength be be, be exalted like that of a wild ox. People are zapped of strength because they refuse to remind themselves of God's goodness in their life. That's why David said, even when things weren't lining up, David said, in God, I will praise. In the Lord, I shall rejoice. He said, I know that I shall see the goodness of the Lord while I'm yet in the land of the living. My story might have started out bad, but it's not going to end it's not going to end the same way it started. Things might not look good right now in front of me, but thank God I serve a God of turnaround. And things don't have to finish off the same way they are right, the same way it is right now. The Bible says better is the end of a matter than the beginning thereof. Hallelujah. Things are if <laughs> one of the, the reasons why people remain sorrowful is because they're hopeless. They're hopeless that God's going to do anything. And the reason why they're hopeless that God's going to do anything is because oftentimes they attribute the calamity and trial and tribulation and trouble in their life to God when really it's the thief that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Really it's the devil that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Really it's the devil that the Bible says, uh, you know, went to Job. It wasn't God. God didn't, God didn't come and strike Job with boils. It was the devil that went forth from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with boils. But you remember what Job said? Blessed be the Lord. He God never gave or took away from Job. God gave, actually. God never took away. God gave Job everything he had. But you notice, it wasn't God that took away Job's health. It was the devil. It wasn't God that took away Job's finances. It was the devil. Stop attributing the devil's success to God. Instead, identify your, your adversary. It's a poor army, a poor general, a poor uh, strategical general that goes to war without identifying who he's going to war against. If you go to war and, and you're fighting the wrong person, then you can fight all you want and eradicate whoever you want, but ultimately, your problem's still there. The devil will gladly sit by, watch, and laugh if he can continuously slap you in the face, back up, point his finger to God, and say, he did it. And for a lot of you, I feel the Lord's lighting some light switches on right now for a lot of you. You've had, that's been your testimony. You've thought God was at the end. God was, uh, was the other one on the end of this sickness. God was the other, the, the, um, the one at the end of this of your poverty. God was the other one on the end of your trial, your tribulation. You think you've been fighting against God and as such, you've never been able to break free. Instead, the Bible says Jesus, when they were on the boat going towards the other side and a great storm, if you study the Hebrew, it was a diabolically inspired storm. When that storm came, the disciples came to Jesus and said, don't you care that we're perishing? They thought, they pretty much thought God was sending the storm. Jesus got up and rebuked the storm. He put it in its place. He 
for him to rebuke the storm, he had to acknowledge that that storm isn't from God. A lot of you, you think you're going through storms that God sent you. It's not God. It's the devil. God doesn't send storms. God breaks storms up. God does not send. He's not the author of storms. He is the obliterator of the storms of life. You know how you know the storm wasn't sent from God? Because Jesus wouldn't have rebuked it if God was the one who ordained it. The Bible says the Father is working until now and I work with Him. So what you have to do is learn that you're, before I get into praise, this is why I'm, stop, I'm, I'm focusing on this a lot, on your joy level and, and the necessity of joy. Because before you can get into praise, before pr the, your praise will be heard before God, before your praise will be authentic before God, before your praise will be substantial in the presence of God, it must be fueled by joy. Without joy, your praise is of no value to God. There, you have to have joy in place before you can position yourself in praise. The scripture says we are to come before his presence with joy and thanksgiving. Deuteronomy 28, 47. Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, then he will send upon you disaster, destruction, your enemies until they embank around you and you're destroyed. A lot of people, they serve God and they, they're like, it's, there's no joy in their service to God. They serve God in, in compulsion. They force themselves to do it. But there's no joy. Like, you know, that's what happened to that servant that had the one mina, the one talent. The Bible says when God delivered him the talent, he went and hid it under a, a, a he went and hid it, he dug it up. And when the master came and required fruitfulness from him he required uh whatever he had produced the the servant said i knew you to be a harsh taskmaster i knew you to be a man who reaps what he didn't sow and i knew you to be a man who takes in what he didn't even he didn't even give out for so i went and hid my talent here's your here's your talent the bible says he looked at god as a as a taskmaster a harsh taskmaster god's not a harsh taskmaster what does that mean? He's not a, 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 you're, you're a horrible boss at work. He's not a, a, a terror to serve. The Bible says when you serve him that way, your service to God will not produce any reward in life. The Bible says in, Job, uh, in Joel chapter 1 and verse 12, the, the fig tree does not blossom. The pomegranate yields no fruit. The apple tree isn't producing anything. Things aren't producing. The farm isn't bringing forth. There's no harvest to what I'm sowing. Why? Because joy has withered away from the sons of men. That's why I know before we get into praise, the first thing God's going to do for you today, or second thing, first thing is going to make you forget the horror of your past. Second thing, what he's going to do right now, I believe it. And some of you are already tasting of it. God is going to make you the taste of the river of joy that streams in the city of God. God is going to put in you the joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. I tell you, 
No matter the horror of your past, the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. As God's presence comes and, gravita uh, and gravitates towards you, the horror, the, the terror, the depression, the sorrow, the heaviness of heart is detaching from your life. And the joy of the Lord becomes your strength from today onward in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive that joy here and now in Jesus' name. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is not in meat or in drink, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Taste and see. The Bible says that your, he turns our mourning into dancing. He removes the sackcloth and puts on us garments of praise. God is going to clothe you with joy. Joy inexpressible. The Bible says that he turns our our, our captivity into dancing. The Bible says weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You've wept long enough. You've dwelt around that mountain long enough. Today you are arriving at the joy of the Lord in Jesus' mighty name. And that joy, just like Joseph, when he reached, when he reached the palace, the Bible says he named his first child um, Ephraim which means God has made me to forget the horrors of my past. That joy is going to make you to forget the horrors of your past. That joy is going to get you to focus. You'll have so many testimonies come in that even when you try to think negative, you'll have to bypass the litany of testimonies of God's goodness. In Jesus' name. I want to I go through... A few things, but I want to read this story to you, which I think is necessary when you're preaching on praise. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse, verse 1. It happened. Another thing is, you know, going back to joy being a requ requirement if you want to praise God and, and thank God properly. The Bible says in James chapter 5 and verse 13, if any man is merry, let him sing. Let, if any man is merry, let him sing. You're not even qualified to sing until your heart is merry. That's why there's some churches where there's no move of God in the praise and worship because they have some worship leader that just gets up and talks about how hard their week was, how tough things have been. How many of you had a bad week? Put one hand up. How many of you had a really bad week? Put two hands up. And you know, that's not going to usher in the presence of God. God's presence isn't gravitating towards that. You know who gravitates towards that type of environment? The devil. The Bible says he seeks through dry places to find rest. When you're dried up with joy, that's where the enemy seeks to inhabit. That's what gives a foothold to the enemy. But when you set up an atmosphere of joy and praise, and that atmosphere, that flood of joy inundates the environment you're in, it's a plague. Just like a fish can't survive out of water, the devil can't survive an atmosphere of praise that's loaded with praise. Let me read this. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming up against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and there in Hezazan Tamar, which is in En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. So you see, fear is a natural reaction to bad news and, and negative circumstances. But Jehoshaphat had a secret. 
The flesh, the carnal reaction to hearing bad news is to fear. Jairus comes to Jesus. My daughter is lying at home. She's about to die. Come and lay your hands on her and she'll live. As he's going, the woman with the issue of blood comes. He heals her, but he got delayed in getting to Jairus' house. On his way, people came from Jairus' house and said, Don't trouble the teacher any longer. Your daughter is now dead. And Jairus' natural reaction was to get fearful, anxious, worried, depressed, sorrowful. But you know what Jesus did to counter those reactions? He told Jairus, don't be afraid. He knew that type of news. The first thing it's going to do is sink fear deep into your hearts. That's why courage is, is deliberate. Courage is intentional. Courage is an act of the will. Fear is a natural, uh, a natural reaction. Fear will naturally settle in. You don't have to do anything to get afraid. But something must be done to stay courageous, to be strong in the Lord. Joshua 1.9, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, don't get discouraged, but be strong and courageous. He had to tell Joshua three times in that passage in Joshua 1, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Don't let your heart be afraid. Jesus told his disciples, don't let your heart be afraid, neither let it fear. For you believe in me, or you believe in God, believe also in me. He told Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. Praise is an outward expression of an inward conviction that God is going to make good on His promise. Don't be afraid. Only believe. For all things are possible to him that believe. Jehoshaphat knew that. So when the fear settled in, he countered that fear. When you hear bad news, if all you do is expose yourself to constant bad news and you never counter it with a good report, you will stagnate and paralyze yourself and remain idle in that problem the rest of your life. It'll never get better. Things don't just get better naturally. There has to be cause to produce effect. And fear, fear is going to come as long as you live in this natural body. You're always going to have the temptation to be afraid. So that's why you always have to have the resolve that I will not be afraid. The Bible, 365 times in the scripture, it says, don't be afraid. Or, or um, do not fear or some sort of derivative of that. That means there's a one don't be afraid for every single day of the year. When Israel was in trouble and an angel came and appeared before them, before one of the, the kings or whatever, the first thing the angel said was, don't be afraid. Before, God, before Jesus can get Peter to walk off the boat and walk onto water, what did he have to do, what did he have to do or get Peter to do? The Bible says when they saw him, they thought it was a ghost and they were gripped with fear. So Jesus had to say, don't be afraid, take courage, it is I. He had to turn and convert that fear into faith, into joy. And once that happened, then he said, Peter, you may now come and walk on, walk on the water. You'll never walk in the supernatural as long as you're committed to exposing yourself and never counteracting that fear with faith. 
You have to learn to generate joy in the circumstance you're in. That's why I gave you those subtle keys before. That even if there's, it looks like there's nothing to thank God for right now in this present situation that you find yourself in, there's always something you can zone in on and give God a high praise for that. You don't have a job? Thank God I'm healthy. You're not married? Thank God I can still get married. I don't have a child? Thank God that the Bible says He makes the barren womb fruitful. Thank God you're even married and qualified to be a mother or qualified to be a father. At least you have that step taken care of. God did the least. He'll fulfill the rest. So there's always something you can focus on. Whatsoever is pure. Your joy is largely determined by what you let settle in your heart. That's why the, uh, the proverbial writer in Proverbs 4 says, My son, keep my word ever before you. Let it always be within your heart. Guard your heart from negative reports, for out of it flows. Jesus said, for from within the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Paul said, whatever is true. You know when he wrote that Philippian letter? He was in prison. He was jailed. That's one of his prison epistles. He, he was uh, not doing too good when, if he had just gone by what he saw. But in that same letter, constantly he reminds his readers, who are free men. You have a prisoner reminding free people, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say to you, rejoice. That's why it's important to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Jesus likened it to a river of water. A river is largely, it's not dependent upon climactic situations. Climatic situations, scenarios. For example, a well, a well can dry up if there's not enough water for, you know, several days, months. A river, it takes a lot more for a river to dry up. It would take like years of drought for a river to dry up. Some people are staying at the well level in God. And that's why the slightest of problems or circumstances come your way. A little bit of heat and your joy dries up. But God's moving you on into the river level. The baptism in the Spirit ensures that despite what is happening, there is a river of joy bursting forth from within that isn't determined by what I see, but it's determined by what is written. He's constantly saying, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, you study in the book of Thessalonians, it says, that you are to rejoice always. Paul was a praise, a joy, a, a, a happy addict. You look at in Acts 26 verse 2. He's standing on trial. And the scripture says, when he was addressing Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, I think myself happy. He's standing on trial. When he had no reason to be happy. And he still says, I think myself happy. I, I, I dwell on things that make me happy, that make me joyful. I don't focus on the failure of my past. I think on the things that God did work out in my life. So Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. 
And they said, Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Don't you rule over the nation, the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. Saying, if disaster comes upon you, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, you will stand before the temple and in your presence. We will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save us. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let, let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they tr turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming up against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We have no power. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're backed up into a wall? What do you do? What do you do when it seems like there's no way out and you've exhausted everything you know to do? You've prayed about it. You fasted. They did that. You anointed yourself with oil. You have the whole church praying for your situation. You've used your faith. You've spoken to that mountain for it to be removed. And it seemingly is still there. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What action can you now take so that you're not sitting like idle by the, word, the, by the road expecting things to turn randomly? Look at what happened. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziah. And said, listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, listen, don't be afraid. There it is again. Don't be afraid. Don't succumb to be a victim of fear. Don't grumble and complain because of fear springing out. Instead, set a guard over your mouth. Set a watch over the door of your lips. You know what the Bible says complaining does? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Neither complain as some of them complained, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Numbers 11 and verse 1 says, And the people of Israel grumbled before the Lord, and it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard their complaint. You know, God doesn't just hear your prayers. God doesn't just hear your, your words and, your, your, thought and your, your, your words of victory. God hears your complaining. The Bible says the ears and the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on things that are good and things that are evil. He doesn't just hear when you're speaking faith. He, he hears everything. You know what numbers, uh, the 12 spies, 10 of them came back and they complained about how it was an impossible land to take over. They complained about how big the giants were. They complained about how... Uh, how, how um, fortified their cities were with walls great high towers that were indestructible the bible says in numbers 14 25 as they spoke in the hearing of his ears god's ears so shall it be done to them murmuring complaining is exalting satan's victories in your life it's his trophy system the more you complain 
about the situation. the more Satan is pleased and the more welcome he feels to stay. But when you make a decision to do what, G what God tells him to do, listen to this. When you ask God for a miracle, get ready to hear an instruction. There's always something to do. There's always a point of action. There's always a, a, a step, a corresponding action you can take. When you ask God for a miracle, take heed to the instruction heaven will give you. Listen to what happened. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against, this, against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Z's. And you will find them by the end of the brook. You will not need fight this battle. Position yourselves and stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Again, he says, neither be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So what's the position they took? They rose up early in the morning. They went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and he will establish you. Believe in, the, in his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and those who should praise the beauty of his holiness, as they went out before the army. And they began to say, Praise the Lord. For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushment against their enemies, against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, and they were defeated. I want you to see something. The Bible says God gave them an instruction to position themselves. The Bible says when they set out early the next morning, that position they took on was the position of praise. It was a, praise is the position you must take in faith if you're going to gain the victory. And notice how they didn't send their army out first and foremost, and then they put the praise warriors in the back. They set out first the praise warriors. They set out the ones that knew how to, 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 to attract God's presence. Thou, O Lord, inhabitest the presence, the praises of your people. Praise attracts. Praise is an invitation God will never turn down. And when they did that, the Bible says their battle was converted or transferred rather from their hands into God's hands. Praise will transfer your battle into God's hands. Tra praise will have God take us and assume responsibility over the battle you're facing right now. When you decide to complain about the, the battle, complain about the opposition, you're assuming responsibility that you're the one that's responsible. You're the one that's going to have to do what is necessary to arrest that opposition, to have the victory, to overcome the challenge. But when you praise God, you're casting your care on the Lord, who in turn will care for you 
and assume responsibility over your battle. And understand this, God has a perfect track record. He is the most high God who has never lost a battle and you will not tarnish that record. Position yourself, stand, stand firm. The Bible says, having done all, you are to stand. Some of you are facing impossible situations, scenarios, things that you don't know how to get out. Things that, unless God pulls through, you're a dead man. You're a dead woman. Your business will collapse. Your, your, your money will run dry. If it's not for God pulling through, uh, you aren't going to make it. There's no way of escape in sight. You've come to wit's end. You're at the end of yourself. Well, that's a good place to be. They were too. But notice how they didn't. You know, the Bible says to all that are in the land of the living, there is hope. There is hope. You'll never praise God if you're hopeless. The devil doesn't have the ability to close your case. You're the only one that can do that. The devil does not have the ability to nail in the coffin of your life. You're the only one that has the ability to do that. That's why David said, why so downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted, discouraged within me? Hope in God. Expect things from God. Wait on God. Trust also in Him. The Bible says, I would have lost heart had I not believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord while I'm yet in the land of the living. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by God's past faithfulness. This book, I'm so intoxicated on the testimonies of this book. And that's what causes me, it's impossible for me to get discouraged. Because for every problem or situation that can arise, I have a scripture that promises me the opposite of what I'm seeing. Paul and Silas are in prison, bound by shackles and chains. And they started to pray. Prayer didn't work. Prayer seemed to like be frustrating. A frustrating action. It wasn't doing anything. The prison doors were still shut. They were still scheduled for execution. What did they do? They switched on praise. And when you switch on praise, the Bible says when God arises, his enemies are scattered. The Bible says, tremble thou, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Notice how there was an earthquake. After they began to praise God with voices loud and high, that wasn't some North American cute little, Father, we just come before you today. We thank you for everything. That, it's so cheap. The devil mocks at that. Lord, we just... You know, high voltage praise. Dancing before the Lord with all your might. That's how David did it. David was an addicted prayer, praise warrior. When the Ark of the Covenant was coming back into, into uh, the camp of Jerusalem, into the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says he prays so hard. If your praise doesn't move you, it won't move God. David said, bless the Lord, oh my soul, not just oh my mouth. There are many who draw near to God with their mouth, but their heart and their soul is not with them. And the Bible says, in vain do they worship me. Praise is not reading lyrics off a screen at church. Praise is not empty-minded and empty-hearted recital of a song. That's not the type of praise I'm talking about today. 
I'm talking about the praise Paul wrote of in Ephesians 5 when he said, don't be drunk with, with, with alcohol in which is dissipation, but rather be filled with the Holy Ghost, praising and singing with psalms and songs, making melody in your heart towards the Lord. The Bible says in Malachi 2, verses 1 through 3, Because you did not lay it to heart to give thanks unto my name. Because you did not lay it to heart. Genuinely thankful as you think on God's goodness. Genuinely grateful. To remain ungrateful is to remain grounded. Grounded. You'll stay at ground level. Your gratitude is what will let, lift you up and change your altitude in life. Ingratitude is spiritual blindness. If you've lost anything, it's because of God that you haven't lost everything. The Bible says when the vine does not blossom, when the fig tree doesn't blossom, though there be no herds in the stall, though there be no uh, meat in the fields, Habakkuk 3.19, yet in God I shall rejoice. In the Lord I shall praise. Then he shall make my feet like hind's feet to ride on the high places of the earth. Hallelujah. David, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 30, the Philistines had taken over ransacked his camp, took, took away his children, took away his wife, took away uh, his soldiers' families, away captive. And they spoke of stoning him. He was in the darkest hour of his life. He was in a, 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 a place nobody would ever want to find themselves. And yet the scripture says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. The Lord is my strength. He is my light. He is my salvation. What shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life. Who shall I be afraid of? My heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. For the Lord is on my side. The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord. He reminded himself of God's past faithfulness. And what did it do? What happened when he did that? The presence of God came. And then he was able to hear a plan of action, a strategy to, to implement in his life to take recovery of everything that they had lost. Praise has the ability to restore all that is lost. Don't think you're going to have to go the rest of your life without the things that you've lost. Don't think. The Bible says he's the God who can restore what the locusts have eaten. He can restore what the swarming locusts have chewed up. Whatever the devil's chewed away at in your life. God is a miracle working God. And he can restore that which was lost. The Bible says there was a man with a withered hand. No matter if your life looks withered today. When he stretched it forth. When you stretch out your hands in praise. That which is withered springs back to life again. Hallelujah. 
Psalm 126, the Bible says, when the Lord brought the captives back from Zion, and I pray in the name of Jesus, this is the joy that's coming alive on the inside of you. A sincere, heartfelt joy. Not a superficial smile. While everyone else sees your smile, deep down within you're grieving, deep down within you're full of sorrow, deep down within, the Bible says there's, there's, there's heaviness. No, I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. The Bible says, when the Lord brought the captives back from back to Zion, they were like them that dream. And their, their hearts were filled with laughter and their tongues with joyful singing. And the Bible says, though they sowed in tears, they did reap a harvest of joy. The Bible says part of the function of the anointing of the Holy Spirit is not just to give recovery of sight to the blind, but the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for He has anointed me to bind up, to mend up the brokenhearted. The Bible says that in Isaiah 61, to give them the oil of joy for mourning, to give them the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. The Bible says in Hebrews 1 9, that because you have hated lawlessness and loved righteousness, God himself shall anoint thee with the oil of gladness. There's an oil of gladness within the anointing of the Holy Spirit is a joy that the world can give you and as such the world can take it from you. It's a peace that the world can give you and as such the world can take it from you. No great peace and great joy have they that love his law and nothing shall ever get them to stumble in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. That joy, like it, like the oil that descended upon Aaron's beard and his head, and it dripped down his garments. That joy is pure. <laughs> like David said in Psalm 23, your cup of joy is overflowing. That cup of joy is running over. That cup of joy is bursting forth at the seams. That cup of joy, God's not filling you up halfway. He's not going to do it to the brim. It's a cup that is running over in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. When that joy comes in, it expels worry. It expels sorrow. It expels fear. It expels satanic harassment. Some of you are watching. You have anxiety. Let me tell you my testimony. I had OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, diagnosed, given pills and all kinds of stuff. Didn't do me any good. And then I heard about the message of the gospel. Isaiah 53, he bore our sickness, carried our pains. And by his stripes, we were healed. When I saw that, I'll give my testimony more in, in detail probably next week. But when I saw that in the word, you know, Jeremiah 15, 16, thy words were found and I did eat them. And they became for me the joy and gladness of my heart. This is the source of all joy. This is what generates joy. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and I'll actually go through four sources of joy. But this is the primary source that generates joy. Thy words were found and I ate them and they became for me the joy and gladness of my heart. When I got that word in my spirit, I tell you, OCD, anxiety, I had depression, suicidal thoughts, all of that left. Through The Bible says the entrance of His Word brings light. Depression is, has to do with dark, 
darkness. Depression stems forth from the kingdom of darkness. The entrance of his word brings light and it eradicates the darkness of depression. I tell you in Jesus name, that heaviness of depression, the anointing of the spirit lifts up the burden and it breaks that yoke off your life today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, you have sowed tears of sorrow long enough. You have tear, you have teared tears of sorrow long enough. In the name of Jesus, the only tears you're going to be sowing from this day onward are tears of joy in Jesus name. I hate depression. I hate anxiety because I see what it does. And I know in the last 10 months because of COVID, there is a spike of suicidal thinking. There's a spike of depression. There's a spike of hopelessness, but God has not been God has not changed his agenda on the earth because of COVID. He still has the same agenda to restore joy in the hearts of, of those that are interested. And I know you're interested because you're still on this an hour and 11 minutes after. And God's going to restore that joy. The joy, not a, an earthly joy. Not an earthly joy, a heavenly joy. The joy that the, the shepherds had when they encountered those angels in that field, when the angels said, joy to the, to the world and on earth, goodwill and peace towards men. That joy, Jesus in his first advent, when he came to the earth, the angels announced his first arrival by announcing joy was coming. Jesus and joy come together. When you accepted Jesus into your life, you accepted joy into your life. Let that joy bubble forth from today in Jesus name. I curse depression. I curse the root of depression. I curse the root of anxiety. I curse the root of suicidal thinking. Every mental agony, every source of mental torment in Jesus name as a bird flies away from a nest. So that thing flies off your life forever in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Let me go through four. I got healed of OCD, of course. I'm not no longer to be diagnosed and all that. No, they, the pills didn't work anymore because I didn't need them. Thank God. If God did that for me, he can do that for you. Number two, source of joy. So number one is the word of God. 1 John 1, 4. The Bible says, these things I have written to you so that your, my joy may be complete in you. These things I have written to you so that my joy can be made complete in you. Acts 8, the Bible says Philip goes down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them and the whole city rejoiced. As he preached Christ to them, the city rejoiced. So the gospel by itself, that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to those who do believe. Number two source of joy, praise. Praise by itself brings joy. The Bible says uh, when the disciples saw Jesus' resurrected body, they returned to Jerusalem worshiping God and were filled with great joy as they did it. So when you praise God, it just, when you start to focus and zone in on how great and how big and magnify how great God is, you'll be surprised at how quickly you'll forget your problems. Number three, God's presence. The Bible says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasure forevermore. The scripture says, you have satisfied me with the rivers of your pleasure. 
The scripture says, and I, I quoted it before, in uh, for, Psalm 46, verse 4, there is a river which streams make glad the city of our God. Number four, source of, of joy. How to keep joy operating in your life. And I'll finish with this. Avoid bad company. You can't maintain joy in your life if you're set on maintaining the same company that allows for sorrow to creep into your life. You cannot generate joy constantly exposing yourself to bad news. Some of you, in this last year especially, you have so immersed yourself in the political system, fixing your eyes on news articles, what president this is doing, what the governor's doing, what congressman is doing, congresswoman's doing, so much so that you have lost the feeling of joy. When you are obsessed with receiving and sharing bad news, you, you'll, you'll never come out of, out, of, out of sorrow. You'll never come out of, uh, of depression. Some people literally, the Bible actually says that gossipers, whisperers, people that share bad news, they actually ingest bad news like a tasty truffle. It actually nourishes them. If that's you, your heart's not right in the sight of God. You need to fix that. Instead, do like I do. I'm an evangelist and God wired me like that. I, not even in just, not just in, in things pertaining to the word of God, in anything in life. I love sharing good things. I love sharing good things. I, if I like a, the pillow I'm sleeping on, I will share the quality, I'll share the, the, the company of pillow. I'll share it to everyone I know. I'll text them. I'll say, you need to buy this pillow. If I like the car I'm driving, I'll get, I'll literally share. I'm just wired that way. I like sharing good things and good news. When I discover something in the word of God that blessed me, I will literally call people I know, ministers I know. I'll text them. Man, I just saw this in the word. I know it'll bless. I share good things. When I hear bad news, I keep my mouth tra trapped, keep my mouth shut. I don't let it out of my mouth. It doesn't, what good is there in sharing it? Does it help? Does it solve? The Bible literally says, which of you by worrying about your situation can add a single cubit to your stature? Are you growing? Are you turning your white hairs to black or brown or whatever color hair you have based on your worrying? No, it's quite the opposite. Your hairs are going white based on your worrying. Instead of doing that, shh, if you become obsessed with sharing good news, you'll see how greatly that'll, inf that'll infect your spirit with joy. The way you feel is largely determined by how you speak on a daily basis. The way you feel is largely determined by how you speak on a daily basis. Your confession will either produce right feelings or wrong feelings. I'm not saying a wrong feeling won't come even with a good confession. But if you don't make the choice to keep your confession in line with the word of God, that wrong feeling ain't going to leave. 
You don't feel good and then start confessing properly. You don't feel good. Uh, when I start feeling that way, then I'll start. There, it's not gonna, You'll never change the way you feel. The feelings will come after you've changed your confession. That's what God did in Jericho. Joshua chapter 6. The Israelites were told by God, I'm giving you the city of Jericho and everything in it. The silver, the gold, put it in the treasury of the Lord, but I'm giving it to you as your inheritance. But before you go, you're not going to defeat this thing with sword and spear and javelin. I'm going to give you an instruction, which if you'll keep this instruction, you won't even have to lift a finger. The walls around that city, though they have their reputable walls, well, though they are walls that even four nations said, we won't even touch Jericho because of those walls. They're impenetrable walls. Some of you are facing impenetrable walls, things that are deemed impossible. Doctors have given up on you. Accountants have given up on you. Your own family gave up on you. People, your own spouse might have said, it's hopeless. Just give in. Just quit. Just, 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 just throw in the towel. It's impenetrable. It's immovable. It's irreversible. It's insurmountable. And the enemies tried to speak whispering lies into your ears. But look at what God said. Get the Israelites to march around that wall six times for six days. On the seventh day, do it seven times. On the seventh time, shout with a voice of triumph. Clap all your hands. Let the trumpets blast. That's why I don't get it when people come into church and they're like, oh, it's too loud for me. Oh, do they really have to play that loud? You're going to hate heaven because heaven is going to be a loud place. The Bible says the cherub, literally, the seraphim, the cherubim, the angels, the host of heaven, the 24 elders are constantly falling before the Lord, casting their crowns at his feet and saying, glory to God. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory, power, honor, and strength. For from him all things are and without his will nothing was made that was made. The Bible says they're constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's an orchestra in heaven. They're playing with instruments loud and strong. Psalm 150. I mean, get this. You want to know why I haven't subscribed to the North American cheap praise? You want to know why chains don't fall off in most worship sets? Because they're not doing it the right way. Listen to this. Psalm 150. It's a new Bible. These pages are still stuck together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of a trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Oh, he plays the drums. I don't like when he plays the drums. It's too loud. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. If you have breath, then you have a debt you owe to God to give him praise. If you have breath in your lungs, if you're still alive and your heart's still beating, there's a debt you owe to God in praising God and not Lord, we just come before. No, loud and high. The Bible says, let the high praise of God be in their mouth and a sharp double-edged hand, a sword in their hand to execute judgment on their enemies. Judgment won't come on your enemies when your praise is so cheap it doesn't even move your hand to be lifted. Judgment will come on your enemies 
God will deal with your adversaries, with your adversaries and your foes. The Bible says, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, thou hast ordained praise to avenge the enemy and silence the opposition. Psalm 8 and verse 2. Praise has the capacity to silence the mouths of those that are arrayed against you. Praise has the capacity to shut the mouths of lions, to subdue kingdoms. When they praise God with voices loud and high and in front of Jericho's walls, they begin to blast the trumpet, blast the ram's horns, blast every instrument they knew to blast. The Bible says, uh, Joshua shouted, shout for the Lord has given you the victory. Notice how he didn't say, uh, wait till the walls fall and then we can rejoice. You know, don't, don't get happy ahead of time. We've never seen something like this happen before, so let's not put all our eggs in one basket. No. You don't wait for the walls to fall to shout. You shout now in faith. And God will send a wind to knock down those walls. Do you know Jericho? If you go to Israel today and you go and visit the Holy Land and whatnot, and you go to Jericho, they, archaeologists have dis determined that the walls did not fall the way a natural wall would fall if it was, if it was pushed down. A, natural, a wall would naturally, you know, from the outside, uh, when a wall falls, it, it, collapses, it collapses outwardly. These walls fell inwardly and there was what, not one stone left upon another. So that shows you, there are things in life, no matter how hard you try to do, like those walls of Jericho, impenetrable and human, with, by human abilities. But no matter how hard you try, there are certain things in life you'll never be able to gain victory. But there is nothing, there is nothing in life, there's no wall too high or fortified. That when you praise, the victory is not secured. The thing that can stop praise from fulfilling what you want done in life must stop God first. Whatever can't stop praise can't, can't stop God. Because praise is an invitation God will never turn down. When your praises go up, God doesn't send an angel Prayer gets the attention of angels. You look at Daniel, God sent an angel. You look at, uh, you look at uh, the book of Joshua, they were praying against one of the enemies they were about to invade, and God sent an angel. You look at several other stories where God sent angels to intervene. But when, 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 uh, when you decide to praise God, He steps in. Look at Daniel chapter 3, the three Hebrew boys. The scripture says, they praise God. How did they praise God? By saying, our God whom we serve is able and he will deliver us from your hand, O King Nebuchadnezzar. And even if he doesn't, we'll never bow. That's a heart tied to faith. They didn't just have faith working there, which was our God is able. They had love at work there and praise because they said, even if he doesn't, we'll never stop worshiping. We'll never stop praising. We'll never stop giving him thanks for all the good things we have in life. And what happened? Nebuchadnezzar looked over and he said, didn't we send three people? How is it that there's a fourth man? Jesus was that fourth one that came in. An angel was about to rescue and 
Jesus said, hey, hey, hey. Why don't you take a vacation? You're off for the day. I'm going to, I'll deal with this myself. Which is better? Having the note from a president, a note, a handwritten note or a letter telling you you're able to get into some sort of building or walking in with the president yourself. When you have a note, you can hand it over. The guard will still have to call whoever needs to be called. You'll still have to uh, verify the note, verify the signature to see if it's actually from the president's office. There's a process it has to go through. But when the president himself accompanies you, the security guards back off, the red carpet comes in, and every everlasting door comes open. While prayer, in faith, gets you a note from his word, you have, you have a, 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 a witness from his word, you have a note, you have a report from God's word that'll bring the answer. There could sometimes be delay in prayer. There's never a delay in praise. Never a delay in praise. Because God himself steps in. And when God steps in, every opposition must bow out. Before I finish this broadcast, some of you are watching right now. And uh, you might not be saved. You don't know the Lord. You're not Christian. You're not saved. You don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you once did, but you've backslidden. You're not serving God the way you, you should. And you're, you're have a, you have a question mark with regards to your eternal destination. That's somewhere where you don't want to gamble. You can know that you know that your heart is right before God and heaven is your home. You don't have to wonder and hope that you're right before God and that you're saved and that if the rapture of the church would have happened, you'd make heaven. You can know. You can put your head to the pillow tonight and know that heaven, uh, heaven is your home. If the, if the rapture came tonight, today, if Jesus came back today, you wouldn't be one of those that shrink back in shame, but one of those who stand up Lift up your heads and rejoicing because your redemption has drawn near. The Bible says only the living can praise the Lord. And the scripture says in 1 John, He that has the life, uh, he that has the Son has life. In the eyes of God, you're dead until you have Christ alive in your heart. In the eyes of God, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins until Christ liveth in you. That's why the scripture says uh, in the book of Galatians that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ now lives in me. Paul knew the old me is dead. Paul understood. There was nothing I could have done to gain favor with God. By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. There's no amount of money you can throw at God. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no amount of helping the homeless that can help you in the eyes of God. Only the blood of Jesus can eradicate the stain, poison, and chains of sin and break them off your life. Have you ever done that? Is there a time in your life where you can call, recall vividly that you stood before a holy God and you said, Father, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I turn away from my old life. I repent. I'm ready to live life with you. I'm denying myself. I'm denying my reputation. I'm de denying whatever this world has afforded me. I'm picking up my cross today to follow you the rest of my life. And I'll never turn back. If that sounds like you and you'd like to make today the day 
I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. Wipe away my past. My sins and lawless deeds, may they be remembered no more. From today, let all things become new. Give me a new heart that desires to run after your ways and pour out your spirit on me to empower me to live for you the rest of my life. I'll never turn away. By your grace, I shall be presented before you when everything is said and done without spot, having not stumbled in Jesus' name. Heaven is my home, God is my Father, and I'll never be the same again. Amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to go on our website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is, I just got saved. Now, if you have a prayer request, there's another place you can go. Just go into contact us, and then you can put in your prayer request there. But if you got saved, if it's a new, you've never done it before, or perhaps you have, but you're re recommitting your life to Christ, and rededicating your life to, to the Lord today. Uh, I would love for you to go on our website. I just got saved. Click it. Fill it out. I want to get something to you free of charge. As a way of saying thank you and, and welcome. Not a way of saying thank you. As a way of saying welcome to the family of God. And I want to get you started in this new life. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. By searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.